Today on the show, I am joined by Dr. Matthias Desmet, who is a university professor from Ghent University in Belgium from the psychology department. And we had a very interesting conversation on psychological crisis and mass formation, which is very relevant to now. And I think you're really going to get a lot out of this episode. I rely on your generosity to help support this podcast. I don't take any outside advertisements. Typically, I travel around charging a fee for my workshops, and here I'm providing this content for you for free. And all I ask is that you make a donation. Contribute what you feel that you've received from the podcast. You can go to the storyofmepodcast.com, and on the contact page, there's a donate button, and help support me so I can continue to bring you this content. And for all of those who have already contributed, thank you. I appreciate it. You can also go to the podcast website to submit your questions to be answered on the program. And also to join my mailing list to get the newsletter of my upcoming workshops and availability for consultations. As you're hearing this, I'm probably on the plane heading to the Netherlands. So my first workshop is going to be in Amsterdam, the Science and Art of Hand Analysis Workshop on uh, September 11th and 12th in Amsterdam. You can go to the show notes to see the details and contact information to register for the workshop. And then after that, I will be in Belgium for a Kundalini Belgium Yoga Festival, and then also to do a workshop on self-love and Kundalini Yoga. And this will be on September 19th. And I will be available for hand analysis consultations in both Amsterdam and Belgium, and coming up also in Spain, Germany, and Sweden. Now let's get to it. Beautiful am I Bountiful am I Blissful am I Why? Welcome to the story of me with Amarjit Singh. This is where my guests and I share personal stories from our life and explore the psychological insights that were learned from these experiences. Each story will entertain you as well as increase your understanding of your own psychological patterns. Then, through the principles of yoga psychology, you will learn how to overcome the resistance that is holding you back from living a more fulfilling life. Join me every Tuesday for a new episode where I share my experiences in psychological understanding, interview guests, and answer listener questions. Now let's get started with the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding. Welcome to the show. For new listeners, my name is Amarjit Singh, and I am your host. For old listeners, welcome back. It's good to have everyone today. I hope everyone is doing well. I have a very interesting show for you with a guest who is a professor from the University of Ghent in Belgium. His name is Dr. Matthias Desmet. He is in the Department of Clinical Psychology, also has a master's degree in statistics, 
and a doctorate in the field of psychology. And I think this show will enlighten many people who are struggling to understand what is happening in our culture with this pandemic. A lot of people are trying to explain the facts because they don't understand why the governments and corporations are acting like they are for something that is not as detrimental to everyone's health as it is being sold to you as. Instead of this being a a pandemic of a virus, it is more of a psychological crisis. And our guest today will discuss this and how he observed this and what the conditions are that created this so we can understand why people are not understanding that this pandemic is gone on for too long. It's really not as detrimental to people as they think. You know, a study came out just recently saying that masks are only about 9% effective. And I don't know if this is effective enough to make mandates and force people into submission wearing these masks. You know, this virus is not as deadly as people are thinking it is for some reason. The facts are out there. We don't understand why they're not accepting these facts. And our guest today will enlighten us to why people are refusing to see what is really going on. For most people, you have a 99.98% chance of survival after getting this virus, with the exception of maybe people over 60, people with uh, pre-existing conditions, people that are obese, or people that are deficient in vitamin D. And the average age of death of someone with COVID is about the average age of death in life. Not saying that we shouldn't protect the older people, but at what cost to the rest of us? And in fact, this is less deadly than the flu for children. Children die more often from the flu than they do from this. I'm not going to get into all these facts because they're apparent. If you don't understand these facts, if you don't see these facts, it's not because they're not there. It's because there is something going on with you that is preventing you from understanding this. And this is what our guest talks about today. There's a very interesting book I don't know how many people know this book called The Shock Doctrine. And it comes from, well, it really started long before this book was written. And this was used in shock therapy treatment. They would electrically shock people into being overwhelmed so that they can try to change their personality or try to change some psychological issue that they were dealing with. And the theory is if you shock someone's system enough, they are open to accepting something new. And even if that something new is not good for them. And so I think it was the woman's name is Naomi Klein, who wrote the book, The Shock Doctrine, and how governments are using this philosophy. She shows this throughout the world. Whenever there's a natural disaster or even a man-made disaster, The government takes all these policies that they've been waiting to implement and implements them because the population is more submissive because they're overwhelmed. And if you look at this book, she gives very specific examples of this. We can see this from 9-11 and many other natural catastrophes throughout history. 
This COVID pandemic is no different. These governments are using this to institute their policies. And I know many people are out there saying, oh, they're not doing this. But we don't have to look at what they say. There's examples of this. And I give you an example from my own life that just happened today. Now, as most of you know, I am flying to the Netherlands to give some workshops, then to go to Belgium and give some workshops throughout there, and so on. And this is what I've been doing the past 20 years. So now you have to take all these tests before you fly, which, okay, I'll play their game and I'll take this test. Less than 72 hours before the flight, you need a test, a COVID test. Now, even if you have been vaccinated, you still need to get this test because, as we know, the vaccinated people are still spreading this disease because they are still getting it. I don't know how many injections they will have to get before this stops happening, but I don't think it's going to. So I take my test to make sure that it's under 72 hours, but none of these test centers can guarantee that the test will come in time. So I have to make an appointment at two places to make sure that one gets to me before my flight. So I take two tests on two different days. And then today, a day before I fly, I find out that now the Netherlands considers the United States a high-risk place. Nothing has changed here. No more people are dying than before. No more people are getting infected as before. It's, it's no reason. What happened from yesterday to today, it was their whim to do this. And so now everything changes. Now I need a test within 24 hours of my flight. So to get a test within 24 hours of the flight costs $300. My flight is about a little more than this. So it's almost doubling my flight. Now, in addition to this requirement they put up, you also now have to quarantine when I arrive in the Netherlands for 10 days, even though I had a test less than 24 hours along with all the other people on, on the plane. And even if you have been vaccinated, you still have to quarantine for 10 days. But don't worry, there are exemptions that you can get for the quarantine. And now you want to see how the government is trying to treat people. I want to read you some of these exemptions to see if the governments are really trying to enslave people and to put them into a system. As the shock doctrine dictates, they're using this COVID to really push people into a system who are outside of the system like me and other people I know who create their own lifestyle by doing things that are outside of the big corporate world. So the exemptions, because, hey, I should qualify for an exemption, right? I'm going there to work. I haven't been able to do this in two years, and I'm back to work. So let me go through these exemptions. One exemption is for top-level sports-related people. All right, you heard that right. If you're a top-level sports-related person, you do not have to quarantine when you reach the Netherlands. Why? Hmm. I don't know. Could it be because obviously the virus doesn't infect them? Another exemption you can get if you're designated an international organization. Because obviously, if you work for, say, Google or some other big corporation, 
you aren't contagious. It's just science. Another exemption you can get, government officials and diplomats. Because, of course, politicians are never getting the virus or spreading it, right? We all know this. And another exemption, one of the better exemptions, to show you how we are really trying to enslave a class of people. So this exemption is for people who make a significant contribution to the Dutch economy. You heard that right. If you contribute enough, whether it's buying things or creating things, whatever it is, in the Netherlands, you don't have to quarantine because it's obvious that the more money you spend, the less contagious you become. It makes sense, right? We got to follow the science. And so all these people who think that this idea that we're trying to be forced into the system and enslaved, look at this. What are they doing here? They're creating a class system. And if you're one class, you're not contagious. If you're another class, well, you're contagious. Stay away from people for 10 days. When I'm only going to be in the Netherlands for eight days teaching. This is the shock doctrine, people. Really understand it. We're not going through a virus pandemic. It is a psychological crisis that we are experiencing. And the governments and big corporations are using this to manipulate you. And it's obvious. I mean, look at all these things like I just went through. What reason would you have to make people exempt from a quarantine just because of their position in the world? What is going on? What are we doing? Look at our poor brothers and sisters in Australia. They're prisoners. One person gets the virus and they close down the whole city. And an interesting fact, or maybe not a fact, but an interesting theory I have, which I, I think there's something to it, is if we look in my lifetime and probably most of the listeners' lifetime, the U.S. has been the dominant power in the world. I think this is safe to say for good or bad. And it's interesting because I had a friend when I was in Spain one time, and I'm sure he wasn't the first to say this, said, I should be able to vote for the president in the United States because I'm subjected to their foreign policy. So the U.S. culture was spread through entertainment, through movies, through finance, through business. And our culture, the American culture, got spread throughout, for good or bad, some good aspects, but some bad aspects, through the movies, through all entertainment, music. It got spread throughout the world. Everyone got a piece of this culture, the echoes of this culture. So we look at now as the tide is turning for the U.S., and what is becoming the dominant culture is the Chinese culture. And how is this culture being spread throughout the world? You can ask our brothers and sisters in Australia, whose country takes a lot of investment from China. You can look at the U.S. entertainment industry, who edits their movies to be approved by the Chinese government, whose actors, American actors, apologize in Chinese for saying that Taiwan is a country. So I'm not trying to get political because this is all happening to control your psychology. It's to control your behavior. You know, one of these <laughs> centers I went in to get a test, I had a good uh, experience of how there's this war on thinking we can see this throughout the school system in the U.S. You see in Oregon, they removed 
the graduation requirements because, of course, mathematics and reading and writing is racist. So that's going to help everyone. We're trying to dumb down people so that they will fit into the system without resistance. So I walked into this center to be tested. It was in a pharmacy that's in a supermarket. And I have an appointment. I go to the back and there's a little store within the store that's the pharmacy. And I go up to the woman. I say, I'm here for my COVID test. And now this area behind the counter where she was was very small. If she walked a few steps, she would hit the back of it. If she walked right or left, maybe five or six steps, maybe 10 steps, and she would be from wall to wall. And as she's looking at me, she says, we don't do COVID tests here. So I show her my phone that has the address of this place with the name of the pharmacy and my time. And I say, oh, isn't this your center, your, your pharmacy? And she says, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we, we give COVID tests, but that's, that's at the drive-thru. Now, the drive-thru is if she turned around and walked two steps, she can touch the window where the drive-thru was. Yet, she was uh, dismissing me, saying we don't give COVID tests here, where she was the person who did it. And when I brought this up, she was angry at me. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll go through the drive-thru. I'll go walk over there. She said, oh, you have to drive. So, well, I don't have a car. I'm, I'm just going to walk. And she, again, was angry at me. And so then I, I walked through the thing and I thought, well, maybe she doesn't want to come close to me. But it's like a bank drive through where you, you, the teller opens the door and you stick your thing in the, the container and then she pulls it back in. Well, they did this with a little swab for your nose. So you did it yourself. She didn't even come in contact with you. You could have had uh, the, the plague and she wouldn't have gotten it. But it just goes to show you, you know, nothing against this woman, but people don't want to think. They're being trained not to think. If it doesn't fit exactly in that space, they can't think abstractly. They can't even think outside of this. And it's because all these corporations and all these governments are trying to control people's thinking so they're lazy. And this woman would have not given me the test because she didn't think she gave tests there because I went to the wrong window. And this is just one example, but I'm finding this throughout our society here. And so this is a psychological crisis that we're having based on people's past trauma that is getting into the collective consciousness. And we need to really understand it so that we can get past this because the path that it's going down is not a good path. When you listen to this interview, you will start to understand the psychological crisis that is happening. And hopefully we can get past this. So <laughs> with all that, please enjoy the great interview and discussion I had with Dr. Matthias Desmet. All right, welcome to the show, Dr. Desmet. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, yes. it's, it's quite interesting, you know, for I, I think there's many people who have been like me for the past year and a half or almost two years now, where you're trying to explain something to someone with facts, and you feel like you're hitting your head against the wall, because mm. 
every time you present a fact, they bring something else up and, and, and try to change the subject or try to accuse you of, of being some kind of monster or, or whatever it is. <laughs> and, and, you know, my natural inclination, you know, I come from kind of a, a philosophical background. I studied philosophy as one of the things I studied. So I, I love the Socratic method of argument. You know, you present your, 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 you question what someone says and they question what you say and you go back and forth until you arrive at a truth. And and in the past year and a half, this is pretty much impossible, you know, the way things have been going. And when I came across an interview with you, it just kind of shined this light in, into what was going on that I hadn't really thought about because, you know, my focus is really on the individual when I do counseling and I do my workshops. And I don't think I didn't think so much of the, the group uh, psychology. And uh, so maybe we start from just a little bit about your background and then how you came upon this this uh, understanding of what's going on in, in our culture. Yes, that's okay. Yes, well, actually, I am a, a, a psychotherapy researcher in the first place. So uh, before the crisis, um, well, I, 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 I have a master in uh, clinical psychology and also a PhD in uh, clinical psychology and a lecture at Ghent University on um, individual uh, psychoanalytic psychotherapy. Uh, but I also lecture on uh, uh, the psychology of the crowd, so on mass psychology, psychology of masses and crowds. And besides that, uh, I also have a PhD in statistics. And um, a PhD, excuse me, uh, a master degree in statistics. And um, in the beginning of the crisis, uh, I think I, 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 I uh, approached uh, the crisis in the first place from a statistical perspective. So I started to uh, to um, um, look at the, at, the, at the numbers and, and 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 the graphs that were presented in the mainstream media, the numbers on um, the mortality of the virus, the dangerousness of the virus, and stuff, and. Um, uh, from the beginning, I had the impression that uh, there was a huge uh, overestimation of the dangerousness of the virus and of the mortality of the virus. And uh, I noticed that uh, some uh, other scholars, such as uh, Ionidas and uh, Lewitt, uh, Michael Lewitt, uh, came to the same conclusion that uh, the dangerousness of the virus was exaggerated. Um, uh, or that 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 uh, oh, that there was an overestimation of the dangerousness of the of the virus, and um, uh, after a few months, by the end of May 2020, in my opinion, uh, it was um, more or less proven that uh, uh, the numbers were exaggerated because the original models estimating uh, the mortality rates of the virus. The uh, initial models presented by Imperial College, for instance, predicted uh, that the virus would claim uh, 90,000 casualties in a country like Sweden if it did not go into lockdown. But Sweden didn't go into lockdown, <laughs> and there were only and there were only 6,000 casualties, even when the when the deadly victims were counted in what I call an enthusiastic way, <laughs> because yeah. because yes, so. Uh, by the end of May, I think it was clear that uh, uh, the uh, that the initial um, models overestimated the dangerousness of the virus. But in a strange way, and that was the most interesting thing for me, in a strange way, this didn't lead 
to a correction of the narrative in the society. The narrative continued as if the initial models were correct. So that was a strange thing. I think that um, at that moment it became very clear that uh, there were very strong uh, psychological uh, processes going on in society which prevented people uh, from um, uh, uh, um, seeing things more or less as they were. I don't say that there was no virus. I don't say that for some people, of course, the virus had very bad consequences, but uh, it was not the, 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 the extremely dangerous pandemic um, uh, that the mainstream narrative held it to be. So, um, um, and I have to be honest, to be very honest, from the beginning of the crisis, from the first days of the crisis, I, I, I didn't feel the anxiety for the virus that, that a lot of people felt. I didn't feel it. I didn't, I, I didn't feel anxious about the virus. To the, on the contrary, what I felt really anxious for from the beginning, and that's something that is typical for me, I guess, <laughs> as a human being, or that's something that is typical for my own way of, of, of for my own way of subjective functioning. Um, uh, from the beginning, uh, I, I, I was afraid of the uh, the societal dynamics that were going on, um, uh, and I, I guess that's why I was very sensitive to uh, to the way in which uh, the crisis, uh, to the to the uh, the social dynamics uh, that uh, that emerged that emerged uh, throughout this crisis. So, but from um, after a few months, I really started to think about uh, how I could understand uh, these psychological. Uh, processes uh, that were go going on in society. And somewhere uh, in August 2020, uh, uh, I had the feeling for the first time that I could really um, indicate and really describe uh, the exact process that grasped society and that prevented people from, uh, from um, uh, uh, um, uh, seeing that uh, that the the corona measures such as the lockdowns and stuff were actually not in proportion with uh, with uh, uh, the dangerousness of the virus so and uh, that was in august 2020 i realized that what was going on in society or at least that was my interpretation uh, of the facts um, that uh, we we had uh, we dealt with uh, a massive uh, 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 phenomenon of mass formation and uh, something that is in psychological terms that is described as crowd formation or mass formation um, I don't know maybe I could tell something about this yeah process, how, do, how does or, that differ from like hip, group hypnosis or is that similar to this this mass formation yes. Yes, most scholars that uh, have been studying uh, mass formation or crowd, crowd formation uh, have stressed that it is the same as hypnosis, that it is an, uh, one type of hypnosis. Um, well, uh, mass formation is a, actually a specific uh, type of group formation uh, that emerges under very specific conditions, where, where very specific conditions are met uh, in a society. Uh, for instance... Um, uh, there have to be, there has to be um, uh, a lack of social bond between people. So the social structures have to be weakened. 
the social bond between people have has to uh, when the social bond deteriorates um, uh, uh, one of the conditions is met uh, for 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 large scale mass formation a second one is that there has to be a lack of sense making in society people have people have to feel that their life or 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 their or their jobs for instance or more or less senseless uh third um there has to be a lot of free floating anxiety that means anxiety that is not connected to a representation to a mental representation so anxiety uh of which people don't know uh, where it comes from anxiety of which people don't know what they are scared for or what they are afraid for uh and then um uh fourth there has to be a lot of uh free floating psychological discontent uh and also uh anger and frustration and that is typical so but the most elementary the most basic of these conditions is the lack of social bond and all the the other uh conditions or all the other uh f- characteristics follow from the first one if there is a lack of social bond in society if people do not feel connected uh, uh to each other or do not feel connected enough with each other then they will experience a lack of sense making then they will experience a lack of free floating anxiety a lack a lack of a lot of uh discontent and a lot of frustration and anger so actually um uh the most central uh problem uh in the state uh, from which mass formation emerges is the lack of social bond i could explain this in much more detail but i don't think i have to do it now because yeah. because it will lead us too far um yes indeed but but and and just before the corona crisis i think it was clear that uh these four conditions were met in society there was like a huge consumption of um uh psychopharmaceuticals such as antidepressants uh anxiolytica and stuff uh for instance in belgium um uh people used so belgium has a population of about 11 million and people used each year 300 million doses of antidepressants 300 million doses uh, okay. wow it's one example yes and that's a small country i mean that's a <laughs> that's a lot it is a small country yes yeah. and for instance and also my uh, good example i think uh, is that uh, I don't know if you know uh, Graeber, uh, a British professor who wrote a book uh, entitled uh, uh, Bullshit Jobs. Um, mm. uh, he, de- he, he describes in this book how uh, when you ask people uh, whether or not they think their um, uh, job is meaningful, uh, 40% of them uh, uh, says no. Right? Is that worldwide? 40%. Worldwide, forty percent. That, that's a good question. I, I think it was in, in Great Britain. It's yes. still the forty percent sure. is a, no, but it, it, yeah. the, the findings have been replicated. I yeah. remember in the beginning of of the of his book, he 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 describes his his research, and he then he says that the findings have been replicated in several other countries. So it, it's, yeah. it's a huge huge percentage of the people who who who, who feel that uh, their job is is a, is a utterly meaningless, eh? which is a well, of course, uh, uh, very strange. Eh? So, um, so we have all these conditions. I think uh, the the uh, that are necessary for large scale mass formation were there in society just before the Corona crisis. And I knew that. I remember that uh, a few months before the Corona crisis, I went to the bank 
um, to, um, to, uh, to pay back my mortgage on my house. Because I felt that society would go into a crisis. I cannot describe it why I felt it. It was like a kind mm-hmm. of an intuition. But I went to the bank and, uh, and uh, uh, I, I told the bank director that I would uh, pay back my, my mortgage uh, in one time. And uh, he, 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 I, I, I remember that we had a conversation of about one and a half hour in which he continued to ask me, but why are you so sure? How can you, why do you think that something will happen? And why do you want mm-hmm. to pay back your mortgage? And I say, I don't know it, but I said, I see that all the negative parameters in society uh, uh, start to, to raise exponentially. And I know from my knowledge of complex and dynamic systems that this indicates that um, uh, a major catastrophe will happen, a major crisis uh, is to arrive. And I said, and I want to feel free under these conditions. I want to, mm. I, I don't want to be, to be bound to a, to a, to a mortgage or to the, the mortgage or, or something. So I will pay it back, I will pay it back now. So when a few months later the corona crisis started, it could of course be a coincidence, mm. uh, but still in my, in my experience, I had this, Presentiment, this feeling a few months before that something would happen in society. And I'm sure, and now I'm, I'm always surprised that uh, people seem to have forgotten how miserable their psychological state was right before the crisis. I, I think, I, I, I remember at work that almost every week there were colleagues who, 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 uh, who uh, were not at work because they were suffering from a, bur- a burnout or something. Mm. And uh, it's, it seems... Sudden, I, I, I remember that how, how many people, uh, when the first lockdown, uh, during the first lockdown, how many people told me that yes, uh, it's terrible, uh, but that on the other hand, um, uh, we can stop the rat the rat race for a moment, and then and 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 we can we can uh, um, uh, um, yeah, sit back and, 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 and think about our lives uh, because of this lockdown. Yeah, so I, 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 noticed, I, I noticed this by the group of people who were financially or economically comfortable. They were, mm. they were the ones who were promoting this idea, saying, hey, it's okay, you know, we course. want to stop this. And, and so they easily bought into this, uh, uh, you know, in the, in the beginning. Yes, indeed. Yes. That's right. It, it makes a huge, huge difference, of course, if you have money enough and if you have a large garden. Yeah, then they, they because I had a, a, quite a few people push back. I, I mean, I, I started in, in, I think it was in February of uh, 2020. I was looking at the number. This is when everyone was dying in Italy and they were going through this big uh, catastrophe. And the numbers, mm. they were saying, I think it was a 3.6% death rate. And I said, this doesn't seem right. They're calculating only the small group of people. And even the CDC is saying, oh, there's hundreds of thousands of people who probably have it and don't know it. And so I did my own calculations. And I said, okay, unless you're old, this is similar to, to, a, to a flu. And I posted this on my Facebook page, which maybe, I don't know, was a mistake or not, but I lost hundreds and hundreds of of friends, you know, uh, mm. social media friends, because they just they immediately attacked me. And, yes, yes, yes. and so this is a question I have about you're talking about this group formation and, and how then these people that have this free floating anxiety, they start to project it onto something else. And the coronavirus was the, something that was able, they were able to project it onto this because it had something to be occupied with. And then it also had some kind of objective on how to treat it or how to solve this issue. Indeed. So indeed. Uh, 
Um, free-floating attention is an extremely painful condition. And so uh, when, when, when you feel scared or when you feel anxiety, but you don't know what you're scared of, mm-hmm. you do not have mental control. Um, so, and, 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 and it's, so free-floating attention is really extremely painful. It leads up to states of panic, to panic attacks. Uh, and people in such a state uh, really... Uh, do everything to try to connect their anxiety to representation. Mm-hmm. And um, when under such conditions, when a society is saturated with free-floating anxiety, um, uh, and someone um, uh, presents a narrative which indicates an object of anxiety, when so- someone presents a narrative in the mainstream media, media, which indicates an object of anxiety and at the same time delivers a strategy to deal with this object of anxiety, there is a good chance that uh, all this free-floating anxiety in the society will connect to this uh, object of anxiety indicated by this narrative that is presented in mainstream um, uh, uh, media and that you will... Uh, and that there will be a huge willingness in the population to follow or to to go along with the strategy strategy presented to deal with the object of anxiety. We've seen this before in society. For instance, in the Soviet Union uh, in the beginning of the 20th century, but also in Nazi Germany uh, during, in, in, in 1920. Um, uh, there was also the, 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 the state, the psychological uh, state of uh, the population was similar, I think, uh, with a, a lack of social bond, lack of uh, uh, meaning in life, uh, a lot of free-floating attention and uh, frustration and aggression. And also there you, uh, uh, there was a, a, a narrative which uh, indicated an object of anxiety and a strategy to deal with this object of anxiety. In Nazi Germany, that were the Jews. In the uh, Soviet Union, it, was the, uh, it were the aristocrats who were blamed of everything that went wrong. And now, in the first place we see a virus that is presented as an object of anxiety, but also, we should not forget that, a group of people who don't want to comply, who don't want to go along with the mainstream narrative, who don't want the COVID vaccine, for instance, and and who become, uh, who replace more or more and more the initial object of anxiety, which is the virus. So uh, more and more, uh, it's it's uh, the the object of anxiety is not the virus itself, but a group of, pe- of people that refuse uh, to go along uh, with the mainstream narrative. And uh, in, in that way, I think that the social dynamics that we uh, uh, that, the, that are emerging uh, now uh, are very uh, similar, I think, to uh, to what happened in the first stages of a process of totalitarization. Um, uh, yes, it, so can, it, can I, maybe I should continue for a while uh, yeah, on, on, on this. So the, the anxiety couples to this representation mm-hmm. and then something something very specific happen, happens. So um, uh, uh, as soon as uh, a, a, a large group of people uh, has the same object of anxiety and is uh, willing uh, and is willing to percip- to participate in the same strategy uh, to uh, to deal with this object of anxiety uh, we see how um, uh, a new social bond emerges everybody participates in the same uh, um, uh, struggle war 
uh, with uh, the object of anxiety, which forms a new and very strong social bond and, and a new um, uh, way to give meaning to life. Uh, so we, yeah. we all together, we all together participate in a heroic battle uh, with an object of anxiety. So, and that's the moment at which a new social bond emerges, which emerges, which leads up to a kind of mental intoxication uh, and and a very strong. Uh, 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 um, uh, uh, deeply fundamental type of satisfaction for a human being. So for first, people start from a, from a situation in which they feel socially isolated, something that Hannah Arendt, I don't know if you know the famous German philosopher uh, Hannah Arendt, Uh, who has been writing a lot about um, uh, totalitarianism. She wrote this famous book, The Origins of Totalitarianism. Uh, and, and that's exactly, she describes there how uh, the large totalitarian states of the 20th century actually emerged from a, um, from a, a condition in which uh, there were a lot of um, uh, um, atomized subjects, she, say, she says, mm -hmm. subjects that have no connection with a larger Um, um, uh, whole um, and um, um, uh, that's exactly so when 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 this um, um, uh, when when people start to feel connected uh, by the, the 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 heroic struggle with this object of anxiety, all this uh, this negative state um, uh, becomes a positive state and the 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 the, the, feeling, the 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 experiences of social isolation are replaced by a, uh, by experiences of a strong social bond with other people and uh, and that leads up to a certain mental intoxication which is which is the exact that that's uh, which is the reason why people uh, are continuing to believe in the mainstream narrative, even if it is blatantly wrong and utterly absurd. And so um, uh, people will people will time and time again, like, they, like we have seen so many examples, I think, throughout the crisis of uh, examples uh, uh, or, or, or of, 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 of situations in which, in which the mainstream narrative suddenly changed, in which, in which everyone who could um, uh, critically consider the narrative Uh, would have been able to see in one glimpse of an eye uh, uh, that uh, that it was absurd uh, mm -hmm. uh, what the experts uh, claimed uh, uh, on the mainstream media. Um, um, well, but people didn't see it, or at least they didn't. They they preferred to continue to go along with the mainstream narrative, and that's exactly it. Has only one reason. The main reason is that uh, the, the people do not believe in the main, mainstream narrative. Because it, also, it is right or because it is correct, they believe in the narrative because it leads up to this new solidarity, to this new kind of social bond, to this mental intoxication of feeling really connected again to, to each other uh, uh, after a long period of feeling socially isolated. And, and does that mental intoxication ever wane? Does it get to a point where it's not as satisfying in, in that it starts coming back inward to the people? Does this happen or does it take some outside event for it to happen yes usually it only stops stops after a lot of destruction and so uh, processes of mass formation scholars who described and studied processes of mass formation and crowd formation uh, from the beginning like from the 19th century have been uh, of observing that uh, actually 
the masses or the crowds are always intrinsically self-destructive. So it seems that they can only destroy. That's something that Gustave Le Bon already described in the 19th century. They can never be constructed. They always destroy. And usually uh, the, the, the masses continue to exist um, uh, uh, just as long uh, as their intrinsic need for destruction is not satisfied. And so that's one possibility. Another possibility, and that's the, the positive uh, one, I think, is that uh, the real causes uh, of the phenomenon of mass formation uh, are solved. And that means that people find a new social bond outside of the masses. They find a new way to give meaning to, of, uh, to their lives. They uh, uh, find a way to Oh, they, they, they find the, the, uh, the real origins of their anxiety and the real origins of their uh, uh, psychological discontent and in that way uh, make uh, um, uh, mass formation or crowd formation uh, not necessary anymore. So that's, that there, is a, there is a false symptomatic solution for uh, the four conditions we mentioned in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, 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 a false symptomatic solution and there is a real solution. And the real solution is finding the real cause of the of the of the of the anxiety the discontent and so on but of course once a mass has been formed once a mass uh, emerged uh, it's very difficult uh, to make people uh, search for the real causes of their anxiety and the discontent and so usually um, uh, uh, the mass formation will continue uh, until a lot of damage uh, has been inflicted, I think. Um, okay. Can uh, can the the mass formation be transferred? Because if if we really look at this, we can say that it began with COVID, but I think it began during Trump, at least here in the U.S. I don't know in other countries, yeah. but the 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 way people projected all their anger and all their, their problems onto Trump and everything he said was, you know, it was the devil speaking and uh, whatever it was, made you start to see that it became to a point, not saying that guy is intelligent or he made good decisions, that's, but the, mm. the weight they gave to what he was doing or what he did without really understanding what was going on seemed really excessive. And, and another thing is, he was the first person to say that, oh, this COVID is a hoax. Mm. And I, I really wonder, if he had been the opposite, would we be, at least in the U.S., in this situation? Because every, everything he said, people went to the opposite, just because people didn't like him so much. So I'm mm. wondering if he had been the, the proponent of lockdowns and, and doing all this stuff, if we'd be mm -hmm. in a different situation right now, or at least it would be a different from left and right. What do you think about that? I, I doubt so. You don't, th you don't so. think so? No, it's, it's, of course, you, it's, it's, it's true that uh, everything uh, uh, Trump said was considered uh, to be wrong. Uh -huh. uh, but I, I, I think that if he would have be a proponent of the mainstream narrative during the corona crisis that um, 
they would have forgiven him all his previous uh, mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe he would have I been think, elected again. Who knows? <laughs> yes, he would probably have been elected again. Yes, yes. Uh, no, I, I think this this mainstream narrative, this uh, this Corona narrative, from a lot of uh, perspectives, was the the perfect narrative mm-hmm. uh, to uh, to provoke uh, uh, a new kind of mass formation in society. I think you have to know that a society has been prepared for such a narrative for centuries in this uh, sense that uh, uh, for centuries now uh, the 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 um, the dominant uh, view on man and the world has been a mechanistic materialist uh, materialistic uh, view so we consider man to be a machine uh, mm-hmm. that is a little part a little part of of the larger machine of the universe uh, and uh, um, um, uh, that's i think um, uh, the ideology um, that uh, prepared the world for large-scale mass formation and ultimately also for uh, uh, for connecting all our anxiety uh, to a, a, a mechanistic, materialistic, biological uh, agent such as a virus. And so um, it's very nice how Hannah Arendt uh, uh, analyzes uh, the uh, emergence of totalitarian states in the 20th century. You know, uh, before the 20th century, uh, there were no totalitarian states. Eh? The totalitari- totalitarianism is an entirely new phenomenon uh, that emerged for the first time during the 20th century. Before that, we had classical dictatorships, but classical dictatorships are actually completely different from totalitarian regimes. And classical the classical dictatorships at a psychological level are very primitive and simple. And the, the, there is a one guy or, or or a small group of guys who seem so powerful that everybody is scared of them. To mm. put it in in plain and simple words, uh, and that's why they they have the capacity uh, to make everybody do uh, as they wish. Uh, and uh, so the the basic psychological mechanism is actually a simple. Uh, fear of physical oppression, I think, mm-hmm. in, a, in, a, in a classical dictatorship. But in a totalitarian state, we see a completely different process. And we see uh, the, this process, the, 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 the psychological and societal uh, basis of, um, of a, a totalitarian state is mass formation. And it has been described by, in a perfect way by Hannah Arendt, for instance. Um, uh, and... Um, uh, uh, so, uh, in, a, in a totalitarian state, the population really believes in the narrative, or a large part, 30 or 30 or 40 percent of, of the population, uh, uh, really believes in a narrative that is presented uh, by uh, the government, um, uh, and is psychologically convinced. All the on a psychological level, all the anxiety is connected to the object of anxiety that is indicated by the mainstream narrative, and in this way. The impact of the government of the totalitarian state on the population is of a completely different order. You see, it, it, it's, you cannot compare it that, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to a classical dictatorship. And, For and instance, uh, I'm sorry, yes? you're, you're no, no, saying no. that this started to happen in the 20th century. Is this related then to the capacity to distribute news or to communicate? 
to a certain extent, it is related to the to the fact that from then on, there were mass media who could uh, disseminate uh, the same story time and time again uh, across the entire population. Yes, but it it goes much deeper than that. I think um, uh, the the emergence of totalitarian state uh, is is uh, is actually a consequence, according to Hannah Arendt, who, whom I mentioned now already a lot of times. But mm. but according to Hannah Arendt, uh, it's a consequence of. Uh, of the emergence of uh, um, uh, the mechanistic materialistic ideology, and so the the, the so to the spe- to a, it's it's connected to a specific uh, kind of obsession with science, uh, she says. So, from the 19th century on, uh, the society was progressively um, uh, becoming more technological and more uh, mechanical, uh, more industrialized, and it was. This process of industrialization uh, that uh, led to uh, to uh, to uh, more and more uh, socially isolated subjects, uh, less and less uh, the uh, experiences of meaning in life, more and more free-floating anxiety, and more and more frustration and aggression in the population. And it is exactly such a population that is very sensitive to mass formation uh, uh, and to, to 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 as I said. To, to, to these narratives that indicate one object of anxiety, uh, such as the uh, Soviet uh, Union uh, pre- uh, distributed through uh, the mass media and such as uh, 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 Nazi Germany distributed uh, through, through the uh, mass media. So uh, it is this process of progressive uh, uh, industrialization of society and of uh, um, the emergence of, uh, of the a mechanistic view on the world, I think, that is the ultimate uh, ground on which uh, um, uh, the phenomenon of the totalitarianism and mass formation grows. And, um, um, and, and, and could uh, we look at could we look yeah. at particular countries, though? For example, Germany, and and wouldn't because of the history, wouldn't they be more aware of this as a culture? Like when when this happens. You know, since they have this history of, of this this kind of group thinking that was quite detrimental for their their country, wouldn't mm. this come up more in that society? Why why has this not been maybe why why didn't they take the position that Sweden took? And why did Sweden take that position? Because I've been to Sweden and there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of anxiety, and a lot of burnout there. And, and, and so how how did Sweden go the opposite when if you examine their culture they're quite they're quite overworked they're quite uh you know yes. I, I think i i think the the amount of psychotropic drugs there must be quite high as well how did they avoid this yes that's a good question it's it's not because the the four conditions exist uh, that um, that the phenomenon of mass formation emerges eh? sometimes yeah. sometimes the four conditions the four conditions are there and people prove not sensitive to mass formation that, that that's, that's a very good question we have we have seen the same uh, by the way during the second world war or, or during the first half of the of the 20th century in the scandinavian countries uh, in particular denmark and sweden uh, and also in bulgaria uh, uh, that for one reason or another, people were not sensitive sensitive to the to the same processes of mass formation as uh, they uh, happened in uh, in Nazi Germany and the Soviet Union and in many other Western European countries. So why uh, uh, one population uh, uh, chooses for 
for uh, mass formation as a solution to mm-hmm. uh, the four conditions that I described? That's a very good question. And you can say, uh, ask the same question at the level of the individuals. Why one individual is sensitive to mass formation and the other is not? That's a very, very, very good question. <laughs> so so let's, um, let's go to that because yeah. you, broke, you broke up the people into three groups, that there are three types of people, right? The people yes. who are speaking out. Can you, can you talk about this a little bit? Yes, yes, indeed. So the, the, the time and time again, it's, it's, it seems that um, uh, there are three, three groups uh, uh, in the process of mass formation. So there is one group who is really uh, sensitive or maybe we should say vulnerable to the process of mass formation and which really believes uh, in, the, in, the, the, in the narrative um, um, that is shared by the masses. Then there is a group who doesn't believe in the narrative um, uh, but who doesn't want to go against the current, uh, who doesn't want to go against the, against the masses, uh, and who, who, uh, who is silent uh, and, and, and uh, goes along with the narrative without really believing in it. And then there is a third group who doesn't believe in the narrative and who, and who says it out loud, eh? who, 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 uh, who, uh, who tries to stop the masses and who tries to, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to wake people up, let's say. Um, uh, we, we see, we, we see these three groups, um, uh, 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 time and time again, and also in experiments that study the phenomenon of mass formation, such as, uh, the ash experiment. Uh, I don't know if you know this experiment, no. uh, uh, in which, in which Solomon Ash, um, uh, asked to small groups, uh, uh, of, of eight participants, um, uh, uh, which, of three lines, and these three lines he presented at the right side uh, of a figure, um, at the left side of a figure, uh, a line A, a line B, and a line C, all of a different length. And he asked to uh, eight participants which of the three lines, A, B, or C, uh, had the same length as a fourth line, uh, 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 which was presented uh, at, uh, at the right uh, part of, uh, of, um, of, uh, of a blackboard. And it was everybody could see immediately that it was line B who had the same that had the same length uh, as a, as as a, of the, that, that that line B was the right answer. It was so clear uh, even a blind man could, that even a blind man could see it. Uh, but uh, uh, the first uh, uh, seven participants were actually uh, uh, collaborators of uh, of uh, of, uh, of the of, of Solomon Ash, and they all answered. Uh, gave gave the wrong answer. They all said that it was line C that had uh, that was the right answer. So, uh, the first seven persons all, in a very uh, convinced way, uh, uh, answered uh, line C. And uh, upon that, uh, the eighth participant, who was the the only real uh, uh, participant, uh, um, or, or who was the only real object of investigation, let's say, in seventy five percent of the cases. Uh, also uh, uh, answered line C, eh? while it was blatantly clear that it was the wrong answer. So, and then after the experiment, Solomon Ash asked uh, uh, everyone why they had given the wrong answer. And uh, uh, that, that was actually the most interesting part of the experiment, I think. Uh, at about 30% of the, of, the, of the participants, I think, uh, said that uh, uh, they knew that, that, uh, uh, that the right answer was line B, but that they didn't dare to go against the group. So uh, that they conformed mm-hmm. under group pressure. 
uh, and, and gave the wrong answer under group pressure. Um, and even more interesting is that there, there was this, uh, this other group, uh, uh, also about 30% of the, of the, of the participants who said that uh, they started to doubt whether, uh, uh, line B was the right answer. They said from, from the beginning, in the beginning, I was convinced that line B was the right answer. But then, uh, upon hearing that all the other people, uh, uh, were convinced that line C was the, the, uh, was the line that had uh, the same length, um, as the, as the, as the line uh, at the right side of the table. Um, uh, they started to doubt, uh, and, and in the end, they ended up, uh, being uh, convinced that, uh, that uh, the group was right and that, uh, that uh, line C was the right answer. So they, you know, in one way or another, um, uh, they had been grasped by this very strong uh, impact of, uh, of the group opinion on individual opinion. Uh, and they, they gave the wrong answer. So we see indeed, we see these three groups of people. Uh, we mm-hmm. have one group of about 25% that refuses to give to give the the wrong answer and that um, continues to say that uh, uh, line C is the is the is the right mm-hmm. answer, uh, and then there is this group who knows that line C uh, is the the right answer, but who under group pressure pressure uh, say that line B is the is the is the right answer. Then you have the third group who under group pressure pressure. Uh, seems to really start to believe that uh, something that is uh, clearly wrong uh, is right. Um, is, is, so there any, this, the, the, yeah? is there any correlation to education or anything besides uh, anxiety or free-floating uh, discontent? Is there any – because I, I looked at – I saw the study – and it broke down uh, vaccine hesitancy. I don't like this word hesitancy. Let's say choice. <laughs> I think this is one thing mm-hmm. that they they've been very good at is, yes. is phrasing things to manipulate people's yes. thinking, <laughs> right? Uh, social distancing, which it's not social at all. But anyway, so they broke this down yes. between uh, the um, d- education level, and what they found mm-hmm. is the highest. Uh, hesitancy was among PhDs and that this hesitancy stayed flat where if you look at people that were uh, high school education or or lower they were almost as high in the beginning but over several months they came down and all the other education levels came down as far as hesitancy the only one that was consistent and remained the highest were, were the people that hold PhDs Yes. So, so you, you, you mean that uh, among the, the people with higher edu- education, su- such as PhDs, well, uh, the it, resistance it, to the vaccine it was is PhDs. stable? It's it it stable. In the yeah. beginning, the, 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 the people who had a high school education or lower were at the same level of hesitancy as the PhDs. But then over yes, the, okay, the three-month yes. period or four-month period, whatever it was, they all went down, but the Started PhD stayed flat. It stayed flat, and it didn't go down, yes, okay. it didn't go up. Yes. It, it, so is, there, yes. is this just because PhDs are used to analyzing and doing research and then understanding the results of their research, or is there something more to this uh, as far as education mm, level? That's being, a very good question. Yeah. Yes, I was not familiar with these findings. I, I didn't. I didn't hear that before. But yes, there there is a lot of uh, conflicting uh, opinions. I think uh, uh, with respect to the impact of education on on uh, on the the vulnerability for mass formation, because uh, sometimes it there is some research that uh, claims that uh, the higher your education, the more 
sensitive aorta mass formation. Um, uh, and there is also, so for instance, Gustave Le Bon, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, said that uh, the, the higher the education level, uh, the more sensitive to mass formation. And Hannah Arendt says the opposite, for instance. She claims mm. that a higher edu- education uh, makes people less vulnerable to mass formation. Uh, um, yes, I have, you know. Maybe it also depends on the type of education. Maybe uh, someone who uh, does a PhD uh, has learned to uh, do research him or mm-hmm. herself and will and will be less, um, uh, uh, yeah, less and emotional another, about the outcome. Yes, maybe. yes, <laughs> and maybe will will know better that uh, research uh, uh, is very limited uh, in its uh, validity and in its uh, capacity to to uh, to predict what will happen uh, when you take a certain uh, or when you undergo a certain therapy or something i don't know it's possible i yeah it's it's hard to yeah. say i think well the uh, other the other thing i found anecdotally is, is that you know i i travel around like i said I, before we begin the interview i i don't really have a residence i just for the last 20 years travel around and and so i i meet particular types of people and the ones who have been the most resistant to this this mass formation are people who don't follow politics who are not really in society so much and and for them they see it and 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 look at this as what's going on with the society because they live maybe more on the outside and and i think if they did that test with the lines they wouldn't listen to what other people say this type of person yeah, and, maybe yes. The lower the, the the lower the dose of propaganda you receive, yeah, uh, the, the less you're you're influenced by it. <laughs> That's very well possible. Yes. Well, well yes. speaking about that, the propaganda. So you broke this down into three groups. The one group who buys into this this the the narrative, and mm. and it goes along with it. Couldn't we even break this group down into two people who? buy into it and believe the narrative, but people who continue to promote the narrative because it benefits them. Like, where, where do you get, you know, yes. we, we, we can look at society and, and you know, you, you get uh, the Fauci on, on TV speaking. And when I look at him, he doesn't believe what he's saying. I, I, mm. I don't feel that he believes. In fact, you look at his emails and it goes against everything he had said. Yes. And so these type of people... I don't think they buy into this narrative. I, I really don't. But yet they're promoting it. Yes, they are promoting it. So I think I think in, in the case of people like Fauci or other uh, experts who, uh, who 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 presented and who promoted the narrative mm-hmm. uh, in the mainstream media, I think we have to be nuanced there. I think I think that they do often do not believe what they are saying, mm. but what they do really believe in is in the ideology that they promote. So they really believe that the best way to organize society is to treat people like cows in a, in a large farm, I think. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I, I, think I think they, they really do believe in this mechanistic, materialist, biological reductionist ideology that now seizes the world. And, and, and do that they now do, is do, reshaping society. Yes? 
do they believe this because there's a, an objective for them, uh, a goal, you know, a more centralized government or or, or a profit yes. to be made or for just the, the power? Because you look at Bill Gates, I mean, the guy could live 10 lifetimes and not spend all the money he has. What is he doing? Mm-hmm. Why Why is he promoting this? You know, you hear him speak, yes, it's, and it's, it's, I, I don't know if he believes what he's saying. Unlike unlike what a lot of people think, I do not think that for Bill Gates it's, it's primarily about the money. Yeah. That, that, it's not about that. It's more about it's like an ideological drive. I think. I think that Hannah, Hannah Arendt uh, describes this very well in her book on totalitarianism. She mm. she she says like that totalitarian leaders or people who 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 tend to totalitarian thinking in the first place. Uh, have, uh, 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 or driven by an ideological motivation. They want, they have a very strong idea about uh, uh, how the world should look like, about how society should be organized. And what they want to do is to realize this, uh, to make this ideological fiction real. And that's what they try to do. That's what we have seen in the Soviet Union with the whole idea of a, of a, of a of a society ruled by uh, um, uh, the working class, or in Nazi Germany with the whole idea of a, of a, of a, of a, of a, a pure race uh, that would rule uh, society, uh, and that's what we see again now. I think with the idea of one centralized uh, government who uh, who um, who um, uh, rules the world uh uh through biopower and what what Foucault called biopower and like like uh, um uh, they they consider the human being to be a biological organism uh, that should be uh, uh manipulated and uh, controlled uh, uh and uh, and um, uh in a, in a uh, through biological means and I I think I think that's the the um uh the f- ideology from which uh, institutions such as the World Health Organization and individuals such as uh, Bill Gates start. And they believe that uh, what we should do is, or, or that that, that uh, um, uh, the biological functioning of individuals should be monitored as close as possible through tests and other. Uh, instruments uh, and then uh, manipulated and uh, and uh, controlled uh, through vaccines and and other uh, uh, biological interventions. Uh, uh, well, I think I think you have to make a difference between the uh, narratives that are presented uh, in the mainstream media now and the underlying uh, um, uh, and 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 the. Uh, the, the the deeper ideology from which uh, these narratives stem, um, um, yeah, I think I, I think I think the main the experts and and uh, and the proponents of this narrative really believe uh, in the in the ideology, but usually uh, they know that the narratives they present in the in the um, in the in the mainstream media are. Uh, 
uh, manipulative and yeah, it's and just a tool for them to to yeah. get to to their objective. So, wouldn't you call this this group of people sociopaths? Then because they can't, they don't understand, or they don't care about the harm they're causing. I mean, there's another study that said the the IQ level of babies who are born like a year before or during the the crisis is like at 78 compared to the average mm-hmm. of 100. And this was yeah. in an upper class uh, city. They think in a in a lower class or lower economic class city, this would be much lower, and that's bordering on uh, mental retardation at, at about seventy, right? And so, yes, it's, it's- wouldn't these people really be be considered sociopaths? I mean, to to have a narrative that they want to sell you to get to their objective, which is control to begin with, and not see the ramifications on on people yes it's i think it's tempting uh to to say that uh, uh these people are sociopaths or even psychopaths but i think that that usually it's not right, right? these no. people are ideologically blind <laughs> truly <laughs> ideologically blind that is that is their main characteristic and we have seen the same analysis if you if you if if you if if we look back um, at the people who uh, who were responsible, uh, or at the, at, the, at the Nazi leaders, they were. It's something that is very well described in certain books who who deal with this, uh, uh, who 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 ask this question, that they were not ordinary sociopaths or psychopaths, not at all. And they were completely ideologically blind. And even the the higher uh, 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 Nazi officers uh, didn't show the psychological characteristics of sociopaths or psychopaths I think that's my two cent word opinion and I think I think the people uh, I think many of the of the of the of the, 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 the leaders of the masses are completely ideologically blind uh, Gustave Le Bon for instance says that uh, the hypnosis in the in the leaders of the masses is even deeper than in the masses themselves because they are they believe in uh, the ideology uh, uh, they, they have a, they are more convinced of the ideolo- ideology uh, than the population usually uh, but I don't think in my humble opinion mm. uh, that we deal with that we deal if we if we technically speaking with sociopaths or psychopaths there which doesn't take away that the, the consequences you mentioned there for instance the consequences for children young children and for the population uh, in general are terrible. Eh? They are terrible, and 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 the, and the, the 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 leaders fail to see them. I think because they suffer from this narrowing of the field from attention, which makes them only sensitive, which makes them only sensitive to uh, uh, the troubles caused by the coronavirus, for instance, and not at all uh, to the to the consequences of the measures themselves. Or at least they have the feeling that in the end, uh, when they have reshapen society. Uh, according to their ideal image, uh, uh, they will end in a kind of uh, technological transhumanistic paradise uh, without almost without human suffering. And that's why they feel like it is justified now to inflict a lot of uh, damage and a lot of suffering because uh, in the end, uh, um, uh, uh, the result of, 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 of this uh, revolution will be so marvelous, they think, uh, that uh, that it um, it 
will justify uh, the, the, their actions. Justifies every everything everything they do now. Yes. So so um, so this, uh, and that's exactly. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yes. No, I was no, just no, going no. to say. I mean, I mean that. that yeah. <laughs> I was just going to say this is maybe obvious of what we're seeing in Australia, where there yeah, there's one person who gets sick or not even sick, but just test positive, yes. and they close close down the whole city. Yes, it's completely absurd. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah, it's, it's it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah. How do how do you change the yeah. psychology uh, of this group of people, especially when the people in power, like you say, uh, are, you know, may not buy into the narrative, but they have an objective, and this fits their their their. It's a tool that they can use to get to their objective. How how do we? change the psychology of the people who are believing in this narrative and how do we, I mean, how, how do we get out of this or wh where is this going? What, it, yes. what is the result? Yes. Um, I think the most important thing we should do is to continue to talk. Ma mass formation is a psychological phenomenon that is actually similar to uh, hypnosis, almost identical, and that gets deeper as uh, the narrative that led to the mass formation is repeated more and as other voices in society disappear, as other narratives disappear. So the only way to prevent that the mass formation gets deeper and more intense and that people become even more blind and even more willing to go along with the story is to make sure that uh, there is another narrative that leads to a certain cognitive dissonance that makes, makes that people uh, at least feel a little bit um, confused uh, while following the mainstream narrative. Um, Gustave Le Bon who wrote this excellent book in the 19th century, uh, The Psychology of the Crowd, um, said that um, alternative voices usually do not succeed in waking up the masses. He says like mass formation is so strong that usually uh, the people who uh, are not grasped, grasped in it, who, who do not uh, conform to the, to the narrative, uh, that they will not succeed in waking up the masses. That's something that is rather impossible, Gustave Le Bon said. But he said, if these, the small group uh, uh, that does not participate in a mass formation continues to talk and continues to utter a different story and to, to, to make sure that there is a different voice in the public space, then the masses might not... Uh, 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 become uh, very cruel, he said. And so masses have a tendency to to to, uh, to to be cruel. And he said, like, if there is another voice who, who, who continues to, to be heard in the public space, it usually makes the masses milder and it prevents them uh, from uh, from committing uh, uh, their, their their most cruel crimes. And so uh, I think the most important thing you can do is to, is, is to continue to speak and to make sure that uh, there is a small uh, uh, space uh, in society where the small group uh, that doesn't want to to uh, to uh, 
to go along in the narrative uh, has a chance to survive. And I think that's that's the the, the main um, challenge uh, we are uh, we are confronted with now. It, uh, and you're in the, you're a professor in the university, correct? Yes, and, and I don't know what the universities are, are like in Belgium, but I know in the U.S. they're they're, they're changing a lot. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, I think if you went and said this at a university in the U.S., maybe half the students would get up and walk out, or, or maybe even more. What has been your experience mm-hmm. with presenting this argument to even people who buy into this narrative of, you know, that it's important to lock down? And, and, and when you tell them about this mass formation, how do they respond? Or have you had this experience in having a conversation? Oh, well, yes, with I have to. I, yes, of course, yes. I, I, there, are, there are a lot of people who um, I, I feel a lot of social pressure, of course, also at university. Uh, but, but I have to be honest, like, in general, um, the university uh, 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 has communicated to me that I have freedom of speech, eh? so that, mm-hmm. that that I have the right <laughs> that, that 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 I can that I can that I can express my opinion, uh, which doesn't mean that I, I do not feel pressure. I, I feel a huge pressure, I think, and and actually, I have not been communicating this message to the students because the the, the lectures I I, I give. Uh, or I gave last year uh, were not uh, about the corona crisis. Uh, next year um, uh, I will start a series of lectures specifically on mass formation and totalitarian trends and on uh, and I will refer to the corona crisis of course in this respect and I don't know yet how the students will react. Um, uh, I also I I, 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 I know that there is a possibility that uh, a lot of students uh, protest and don't want to uh, attend uh, my lectures anymore okay but uh, then it is like that and eh? uh, i will <laughs> not uh, i will not shut up because uh, people do not agree with me <laughs> oh, of course <laughs> um, not yeah. have you had experience trying to to you know I, I have had lots of experience especially on social media i'll post something and people will make some comments and so i say okay if you don't agree with the numbers that i presented please present your own to to make me see what you see so then maybe i'm wrong and of course mm-hmm. they they never do and now I've you know learned about what your your understanding of the situation is, and I, I think it's it's spot on to what's going on. Have you tried to mm. just one on one with someone or with a group of people try to explain this to people who buy into this narrative? Do they see what they're what's going on? Or are they still unable to see this as well? Yes, of course, I, I, I tried it. Uh... I've been trying it for 18 months now and on my social media, on my Facebook page and on my LinkedIn page, there are often, often heated discussions and, and argumentations. And I, I received a lot of messages of people who uh, were grateful to me because they said that, that they woke up because of listening mm-hmm. to an interview of me or, 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 because, or when, they, when they read uh, an article of me, of mine. Uh, but uh, but on the same on, at the same time I've been talking with some people uh, for months and 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 presenting all kinds of in my opinion convincing arguments that show uh, that for instance uh, the dangerousness of the virus is overrated or that um, uh, the collateral damage uh, of the measures is uh, is neglected uh, and so on and 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 who 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 just uh, prove. Uh, um, or who or, or just continue in the same way and who are not able uh, to, to, to uh, or who, who, who do not uh, uh, prove 
able to 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 uh, corrections of their of their of the way in which they uh, they uh, they look uh, at the corona crisis now so yeah um i i don't i actually i i i i in the end i don't try to convince people but i mm-hmm. think it's just my responsibility um uh, to present a different narrative and a different view on the situation uh and uh, and i just well uh, I, I feel like it's fa- at, for myself. This is very rewarding because while I'm trying to to uh, to say what I have to say, I feel that uh, um, uh, as a as a human being, I have the feeling that I become closer to my own truth at least, and 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 and, and uh, that uh, in itself is a, is enough for me. Uh, uh, um, but at the same time, of course, I hope that. Uh, People will become more critical to what they they uh, towards the the narrative uh, that uh, that has seized society now for eighteen months. Uh, yeah, well, I, uh, I think you know maybe there's going to be a point where even people who agree with this are going to say, okay, this is too much. I just saw a video, and and I think it was in Paris where at least in France, where all these people were outside the supermarket and they couldn't go in because they didn't have the vaccine. Hmm. And how can you sustain yes. this? I mean, what what what, yes. what do they expect these people to do? You know, it, yes. it, 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 you know, then they're saying, okay, well, you need uh, this third dose or the, what they're calling the booster shot because yes. I, this vaccine's not working is what it really is. I mean, people who are having the vaccine are still getting sick at, at almost, yes. I think, the same rates. And yes. but the, the 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 way they manipulate the language. You know, with this booster, instead of saying it's a third shot of the same exact thing, it's no different than the first two shots you took. And then this social distancing, which is there's nothing social about it. it do these governments or who's putting out this this media? Do they have psychologists who are on their payroll who are coming up with the this wording or how to phrase this? Because this is really a, a huge manipulation with the the way they talk about everything. Well. I remember that uh, at a certain moment uh, there were uh, there were these articles in uh, uh, even in the mainstream uh, media saying that or or, or in which uh, psychologists in Great Britain and Germany I think uh, admitted that they had been hired by the government uh, to uh, to distribute uh, anxiety provoking. Uh, narratives about the uh, about the coronavirus. So, I guess there will be some psychologists who were hired by the government uh, uh, and who participated in uh, in anxiety provoking uh, uh, messages and distributing anxiety provoking messages. Yes, I guess so. Yes, yes. and, and then with 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 the advent of the internet and social media. Isn't this destined to happen again repeatedly because of the way that the media can be controlled through, you know, social media or, or through the internet? I don't know if you saw the documentary. What was it? The Great Hack about the the uh, which? What was the name of that company? Uh, um, uh, the, it was the F- Facebook Cambridge Analytics data scandal. Do you remember yes, this? Yes, yes, yes. I remember so I, yes. I watched this documentary called The Great Hack, which is a little scary, but they were saying they have between 2,000 and 5,000 data points on each person. Mm. That's quite a bit to be able to know how to manipulate them. I mean, hey, if, yes, I, ha- if I had this many data points on anyone, I mean, you, you, you can basically you know, manipulate them how you want. And with the internet 
And this information, isn't this just destined to repeat itself in different ways, this this mass formation? Yeah, yeah of course, of course, yes, yes, of course. That's a, of, of course, that's a risk. Uh, you're at risk of... of, of, of uh, of a, of large-scale manipulation. I think, I, I don't know if you're familiar or if you know the documentary, um, uh, The Social Dilemma, which yeah. also explains, yes, which also explains in a very convincing way how uh, social media can be used to manipulate people. Yes, everybody, before the corona crisis, everybody, or or, 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 or there was like a consensus that that this was a danger in our society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I don't think it will stop with the corona crisis. Um, uh, no. And, yes. and, and so with, with, the, with this mass formation that's going on now, do you, if you were to predict, I'm not saying that you maybe to predict, but where do you see this going? I mean, are we going to enter into totalitarian governments around the world? Are we going to all be like China? Or, or how do you see this playing out, at least in the short term? Yeah, I believe that in Australia, uh, uh, the government is already um, um, uh, communicating that uh, they will they will uh, uh, couple uh, uh, the vaccine and and uh, the, the 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 vaccine passport to a social credit system. I think I'm not entirely oh, really? sure, but I believe yes, I believe. Well, that I, I know I know what they did is, is when they issued that that. Uh, vaccine passport they told people it's only going to be used for if to, for the vaccine you know to see if you're vaccinated or not and then they yeah. wind up follow, finding a couple of people and arresting them based on using this vaccine passport yes. and then when yeah. they were questioned they just said so what <laughs> you know yes. they didn't they didn't try to lie and say oh no 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 no, 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 no. they they basically just no. said yeah so what what what, what, what what's going to happen yes, and so yes, yes. Yeah. Yes, I, I think it's important to distinguish b- between totalitarian thinking and the totalitarian regime. Mm-hmm. So before before a totalitarian regime emerges, you have a, 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 a shorter or longer period in which totalitarian thinking emerges. And totalitarian thinking is a kind of thinking which presents a very narrow and absurd uh, kind of uh, argumentation and logic. Uh, 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 but... Uh, this argumentation or this logic uh, uh, seems uh, extremely um, uh, convincing and and um, uh, uh, f- for the people who are grasped in this process of mass formation. And because uh, in following this logic and following the logical steps, for instance, if there are contaminations with the coronavirus, we have to shut down society and uh, 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 people cannot leave their homes anymore and all people have to die alone and so on and so on and so on. So there is like if A is true, then B, C, D, E follow uh, um, uh, follow from it. Um, so this is this. So to, that's that's totalitarian thinking, and totalitarian thinking is a kind of a narrow and absurd logic which becomes so convincing due to mass formation that it drives a population or that it drives a society across all ethical boundaries. Uh, uh, that's totalitarian thinking, and if this totalitarian tra- once this totalitarian thinking exists in society, then sooner or later uh, uh, there is a totalitarian regime uh, that uses this totalitarian thinking 
to uh, to uh, govern society. So uh, I think we are now in the stage of uh, of uh, the emergence of very strong totalitarian thinking, and that uh, uh, we also witness uh, the beginning of totalitarian regimes. Uh, such as, for instance, in Australia is a good example, I think, uh, what is happening uh, over there now. Yeah, New Zealand uh, also. Is, yeah. And in New Zealand, yes. Yeah, yes, I, th- I, I think I heard it was the prime minister said, we are your only source for truth. Come to our website. Yeah. <laughs> we are, And then yeah, I yes, think yes. It, was it was it uh, them or was it Australia who said, don't speak to your neighbors, don't talk to friends, uh, you know, just trying to isolate people. Yeah, yes, I yes, think yes, between yes. between uh, them and Canada, I think those are the two the two fastest going towards the the regimes. Yeah. Because Canada, About Canada, I don't know that much. Yes. Yeah, Canada, they're they're close to Australia, maybe not as as extreme, but they're they're they're. I mm-hmm. think if you fly into that country, you have to have a test to fly into the country. You get a test when you land, but then you have to isolate for like seven or 14 days and then take another test at the end of the 14 days. And so it's, Mm. it's, yeah. And so what is going to prevent this then from going from the, the societal thinking to the government? Ciao. (laughs) I'm not sure whether we will be able to prevent it, but, but I, I think we have to aim for, uh, to keep a small path open for the small group that doesn't want uh, to conform uh, to the mainstream narrative. I think that will be possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the, 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 the first thing we have to do is to continue to talk and to establish as fast as possible, to a certain extent, a parallel society that produces its own food, that owns its own clinics and hospitals, that uh, yeah that can that can produce at least a part of the things we need uh, to survive outside of mainstream society. I think it will be necessary. Yeah. Speaking of, yeah. of hospitals, I heard you on, on one of the other interviews say that you had friends who were working at the hospital who who didn't buy into the narrative, who who said, "Okay, we're you know things are just normal here." Why aren't more doctors speaking up? Wouldn't they be the first ones who who can not only understand what's going on but see it in front of their face every day? How how has this been possible to silence the doctors? Yeah, I, I know a lot of doctors. I know I know a lot of doctors. Uh, a lot of doctors who 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 have been working for eighteen months now with uh, with the corona patients. And the strange thing is that actually you would expect the doctors. Uh, because they they uh, because they they see every day what's happening in their in their hospitals, or they see every day what is not happening in their hospitals. You would expect them uh, to be uh, to to uh, to be able to to give a much more reliable and and valid uh, account of, of of what's happening now. But it's not true at all. Eh? Among 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 them among these doctors. The opinions are as uh, conflicting and as heterogeneous as in the the entire population, I think. Um, but it is true that the, the 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 doctors who do not agree with the mainstream narrative that usually they don't dare to speak, and um, so they yeah. feel a huge pressure. Like in Belgium, um, uh, uh, the consequences for um, for um, uh, casting doubt on the the efficacy of the vaccines for uh, for a doctor are enormous. Uh, it, uh, it, it means as much as uh, stopping to uh, 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 to be able to 
to work as a doctor, I think, if you, if you cast doubt on the efficacy of the vaccines. Uh, but, um, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, so I think on the one hand, many of them uh, uh, are uh, grasped by the process of mass formation themselves. And on the other hand, um, uh, some of them, you have the three groups we yeah, described uh, a few minutes ago among the doctors as well, and exactly the same way. There are yeah. people who are convinced of the mainstream narrative. There are people who... Uh, see that there is something wrong with the narrative but who don't dare to speak up and then you have a very small percentage but very small of the doctors uh, who, uh, who who raise a critical voice uh, in uh, in the public space but most of them has been have been treated uh, in a terrible way uh, both by the media and by their colleagues uh, so most of now almost none of them uh, dares to speak anymore I think uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't been to Europe. I, I was in India most of the lockdown, and then I came to the U.S. A, a, a several months ago. And in the U.S., I think they have this policy of the shock doctrine. Have you heard of this? You know, when there's some big, either if it's natural catastrophe or if it's man-made, to take it and take all the ideas that they wanted to implement and implement them now because all the people are too in shock and so we yes, see this a lot. Doctrine, yes, I, yeah. yeah. Mm. And so we see a lot of this in the education system here. That's why I was asking you mm. about the education here. The education mm. system from elementary school to, to the universities is really changing a lot. And, and mm. I, I don't, I, it's almost like they're trying to make the people consciously more ignorant somehow mm -hmm. because i mean they, they've determined that mathematics and, and reading and writing is racist. And so they stopped mm -hmm. requirements and testing and then in the high schools and, and done things like this. So it seems along with this, this mass formation, mm -hmm. they're really pushing a lot of their, their agenda, which seems to be really contributing to this. It's like all the pieces kind of lined up at the same time and they just took advantage of it. That's, that's possible. I, I, I never actually studied uh, the more conscious uh, uh, intentional uh, attempts to manipulate the population. Uh, I always uh, focused on uh, the un more unconscious process of mass mm -hmm. formation and stuff. Uh, to what extent? I, I was actually, in the beginning, I was surprised. Like last year, I was surprised to learn from the newspapers that there were psychologists who intentionally tried to, to make people anxious and, and so on. Uh, I, I was surprised by that message, but maybe the, 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 um, uh, the, uh, yeah, the role played by intentional misleading and manipulation is, is bigger than I expected in the beginning. That's possible. Well, it could uh, also be, but they're buying into a different narrative that's going on here where, you know, because of the, the social situation, people are saying you, the United States is racist. There's so much systematic racism. And, and so I think this could be another thing to project their, their, uh, anxiety on or, or their discontent. Mm -hmm. So it could be part mm -hmm. of the same thing or it could be con who, who knows for sure. But, uh, it, yes. it, it does, yes. it does seem to be consistent along all kinds of thinking, not just about the virus. Of course. Of course. You know what? I, I think, I think that processes in society, and in, a, in, a, in, in, in large groups of people are often very highly complex. I think that's, that once uh, a society is 
grasped by one narrative and once this mass formation emerges, I think that in a more or less spontaneous way, uh, it organizes the entire dynamics of a society. Very often, without the people being grasped by it, being aware that they actually reinforce and contribute to the dynamics. For instance, as soon as the corona crisis started, I decided that I had to be more lenient in assessing my students. And this this had only one reason, because I realized that I was not in the position or I was not able to give my lectures and my classes anymore in the same way as I did before, and not as thoroughly and as good as I did before, uh, uh, I had to be more lenient. And I had to to make sure that uh, my students didn't become the victim of the fact that uh, that I was not able to uh, to to uh, to teach them in, uh, properly anymore. So I think that a lot of processes actually arise and emerge in a spontaneous way. That when you look at them from the outside, that seem to be intentional. Uh, yeah, that seem to be intentional and conscious. I don't know. I I, I think it's a very often it's more complex than uh, 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 than 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 uh, conscious and intentional manipulation, but. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I, as I said, I'm not an expert in in uh, in, uh, in, in propaganda tech or or in, in, in the more conscious uh, manipulation that, uh, that that maybe happens in society. Yeah, um, I, I liked your idea of that. Okay, they they don't go along with the narrative, but their goal is is down at the end of the road, and this is a tool that they can use for their goal. And so yes. they 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 say, well, this is best. Whether they believe this is best for for the society or best for their political party or, or whatever it is, but I, I, I can see that. But I, I can mm. see when I see, when, when yes. Fauci is on the news and he's talking, he, he, he doesn't believe what he says. If you really mm. listen to him and watch him, and in fact, I mean, his emails that came out really showed that he, he was saying the opposite of what he believed. But maybe it is that he thinks that what he's doing has a benefit to it. And maybe this is, you know, this push to get everyone vaccinated or to wear a mask is just to get them accustomed to uh, being submitted into into whatever they yes, say. Probably. Well, he's made statements. Probably. He said, you know, this is the time to listen to me, or this is the time to listen mm-hmm. to the government, or you know, he's mm-hmm. straight out said this. You know that mm-hmm. that you shouldn't be questioning this. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to to join me and explain this. Like I said, you know, for the last uh, almost two years, I've been hitting my head on the wall trying to explain uh, statistics to people, not understanding why they weren't looking at the same numbers. And, and now this really, I, I think for a lot of people, will make them approach the situation maybe even with more compassion, you know, instead of saying, okay, these people are mm. dumb, what's going on with them? But to say, okay, these people maybe mm. had a lot of anxiety to begin with, have a lot of discontent in their life. And so let's look at how they're living their life. And, and at least for me to approach it this way and try to understand, mm. you know, what's behind this, this mm. buying into this narrative. And, and uh, I, I think this is maybe the best thing to come out for me is to, to see this. And I think a lot of people, 
it will help them understand what's going on better. And and maybe there's some people who buy into the narrative who will listen to this and maybe understand something as well. But uh, let's hope so. Yeah, please keep spreading this message because I think it's important. You know, like I said, I saw these people in, in Paris out front of the grocery store not being able to buy groceries. You know, how does this continue? Yes. And, you, and you hear people yep. saying, well, you shouldn't get medical attention if you don't have a vaccine. You know, you should mm-hmm. not be yes. allowed in a hospital. And, yes. uh, and so. Yes, it's unbelievable. Eh? That's incredible that, that, uh, that, uh, that things like that can happen here. Um, yeah. Yeah, and people not have the compassion to say, well, what are they you going to do, you know, with, with this society then? How, mm. how do you expect them to feed their kids? How do you expect them forget about they mm. haven't made, many of these people haven't worked in so many months or, or whatever it is? Mm. But again, thank you for joining me. And I, and I hope people start to listen to this. And, and uh, I'd be curious to hear what happens when you start to teach this in the university, how the, the students respond to it. Yeah, me too. Thank you, Amarjit, for uh, letting me bring my story here. And, oh, you're, um, you're welcome. Anytime you yeah. want to come back on, let me know. Thanks. I'd like to tell you about Sing Flutes. These are flutes that are made by me. They're handcrafted Native American-style flutes designed for sound healing. The flutes are tuned to the frequency of 432 hertz, the harmonic intonation of nature. The fundamental note of each flute is in a key to vibrate a particular chakra. Whether you are playing for others or yourself, listening to 432 Hz music resonates inside the body. In fact, they did a medical study where they hooked people up to a brain and heart monitor and played different instruments to them. The Native American style flute had the most impact in relaxing them. If you're a yoga teacher, it's a great instrument to incorporate into your classes. What I do is I have an app on my iPad that has the sounds of nature, and I'll put on the sounds of rain and play over this to the students at the end of the class. It's a very intuitive instrument to play. There's no musical knowledge necessary to get started. Each flute is unique since they're handmade. I put different artwork on them. I put mantras on them related to the chakras that they're tuned to. So go check them out at singflutes.com, S-I-N-G-H-F-L-U-T-E-S.com. Use the discount code The Story of Me Podcast and get 10% off. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the program. Again, please rate, review, and share the podcast with your friends. Help me get the word out. And if you're enjoying the content that I'm providing for you, please make a donation. Uh, that represents how much you feel you've gotten from the podcast. And again, you can submit your questions to the program and go to the storyofmepodcast.com. Until the next time, from the podcast that awakens your inner power through awareness and understanding, allow love to be the current that carries your words and actions. Why, Guru? Why, Guru?